Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of You Make Me Sick podcast. We take a look at uh, pathogenic microorganisms, uh, some of the diseases they cause, how they're treated, some epidemiology, all that fun stuff. Uh, episode two, season two. This is going to be the first part of our herpes series. Uh, today we'll be taking a look at the Epstein-Barr virus. So uh, a little bit about herpes to start with. Uh, there are over a hundred known herpes viruses. You know, this reminds me of the time I got herpes. There are only about eight, though, that really infect humans. Uh, there is the herpes simplex 1, which is uh, kind of causes the cold sores. Herpes simplex 2, which is the has the most stigma around it. That's the one that causes a, it's an STD, uh, causes some lesions and other nasty side effects. Got herpes. Uh, there is the varicella zoster virus, which causes chickenpox in children, uh, adults as well, but more commonly shingles in adults, which can be really painful. There's the uh, cytomegalovirus, got herpes. which can either have very few symptoms or cause serious illness. There is the Epstein-Barr virus, which we'll talk about today. Uh, there is human herpes virus 6. There's a couple of different variants, A and B, and human, human herpes virus 7. Uh, this causes a kind of a febrile rash illness. Uh, it's actually called roseola infantum. Uh, mostly just happens in small children. Uh, uh, there's... Kaposi's sarcoma, which is the human herpes virus 8, and that's actually a cancer-causing herpes virus, uh, affects the mucosa and GI tract. So those are the big eight uh, herpes viruses that mainly affect humans. I guess there's also a simian virus that's uh, called a B virus, which can infect humans as well, which is a herpes virus. But uh, we'll, we'll tackle a few of these uh, over time. Like I said, this is kind of a her part of the herpes series. Definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, so we have, you know, at least eight of these we can talk about. I don't know if I'll do all eight because there are some that don't really apply to, to adults and others that, uh, uh, you know, a little less uh, pathogenic. But uh, today, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll do the Epstein-Barr. So uh, Epstein-Barr virus, it's classified obviously as a herpes virus. Uh, herpes viridae, uh, subfamily gamma herpes viridane. And uh, genus is the lymphocryptovirus. Uh, this is the human herpes virus 4. So Epstein-Barr virus, it's a double-stranded DNA. It's encapsulated by proteins. Uh, the envelope uh, has these glycoproteins. Uh, these are actually pretty important. These are what attach it to the cells. This is how the virus actually gets in. Uh, hallmark of viruses, with the exception uh, of one virus that we talked about, uh, and I believe that was smallpox. Uh, they don't have their own DNA, so they have to get into your cell and hijack your DNA uh, or RNA viruses will hijack your RNA to create uh, DNA based off of that. Uh, anyway, uh, Epstein-Barr uh, gets in there and it actually hijacks your B cells, which are immune cells, and epithelial cells as well. Uh, by taking the B cells molecular machinery, uh, they'll create their own DNA and replicate. This also... Uh, can affect what are called memory B cells. Uh, memory B cells can actually travel throughout the body, through the lymph system, uh, into the circulatory system. And that's where Epstein-Barr can kind of travel. Epstein-Barr can also, with all, you know, basically all herpes viruses lay latent as well. So it, uh, it sits there dormant for a while and can be reactivated. And we'll actually touch on that a little bit too. Herpes virus, uh, in all forms, can kind of lay dormant for a while and rear its ugly head again. So, 
So how do you get Epstein-Barr virus? Uh, transmission of the Epstein-Barr virus, there's a few different ways you can get it. It's uh, mostly passed through uh, swapping of spit. Uh, this is uh, through some deep kissing. Yo, Ben Spochen with everybody. Uh, as well as sharing food, sharing beverages. Uh, you'll sometimes hear about outbreaks that happen on college campuses. Fairly common places for the swapping of spit as well as sharing of beverages. You know, this can, it travels pretty effectively uh, through those vectors. There have also been cases of Epstein-Barr being transmitted through stem cells as well as blood transfusion. So with Epstein-Barr, uh, probably the most common illness related to it is mononucleosis. Uh, if you've known anybody who's had mono before, uh, it's Epstein-Barr is probably the most likely pathogen that caused it. There are other pathogens that can cause mononucleosis, but uh, Epstein-Barr is the usual culprit. Uh, mono itself, kind of a self-limiting disease, uh, relatively good prognosis. Most people improve over time, uh, depending on how severe it is and depending on the person. Some people it takes a little bit longer. Uh, usually, you know, a few weeks it'll resolve, but there are cases, there are people who have gone weeks to months uh, with it really kind of bringing them down. My own little sister who actually requested this topic of Epstein-Barr virus, uh, she had mono for an entire summer. She was wiped out uh, for about, I want to say three months. Uh, and I've had a couple of other friends who have had it that uh, really kind of knocked them back. Uh, I got mono and I was, I felt terrible for about four or five days and then I was fine afterwards. So varies person to person. Uh, with mono, you know, what are the symptoms of it? So most people have extreme fatigue. You can have a fever, uh, sore throat. You'll have the head and body aches come with it. Uh, Swollen lymph nodes sometimes are a pretty good indicator as well. You get the neck and the armpits. And then uh, swelling of the liver and the spleen. Uh, dangerous complications can arise from mono. Uh, not super common, but it can happen. Uh, one of them is splenic rupture. So with an enlarged spleen, uh, any kind of trauma to that spleen can actually cause rupture. If you have uh, anybody who plays sports, they'll actually kind of tell them not to do any kind of contact sports for at least three weeks or until symptoms subside. Uh, it can sometimes be longer than that. Same with an enlarged liver. Uh, College-age kids who get this uh, oftentimes told to not drink uh, with your liver being that swollen. It can cause complications. If you do have people who have this uh, splenic rupture, there are a couple of ways that they treat it. Uh, it can be either treated relatively conservatively. Uh, this is just with pain control, and close monitoring, sometimes it's kind of self-limiting. It'll heal up on its own, so long as they're what we call hemodynamically stable. Uh, if they're you know, not dropping their blood pressure, if they're not hemorrhaging essentially and bleeding out. Uh, there's another non-surgical management, which is it's splenic artery embolization, which is where they go in and they'll actually try and find if it is you know, somewhat ruptured where it's bleeding from and stop the bleeding that way. Uh, and then there's a surgical option, which is the splenectomy. And if you do have somebody with a splenectomy, so your spleen is actually what kind of creates a lot of our immune cells. Uh, and if you have somebody where you remove their immune, you know, the, the organ that creates these immune cells, you have to give them support afterwards to fight disease. So sometimes they'll be offered uh, routine immunizations for things they might not normally have to be immunized for, and sometimes empiric uh, antibiotics, just to make sure they don't come down with infections that their body can't fight. 
another complication of mono is airway obstruction. Uh, this is related just to your tonsil swelling uh, and that swelling and the edema of that kind of pharyngeal or upper airway area can actually just kind of constrict your airway and cause you to not be able to breathe. Uh, steroids can be used depending on how bad the inflammation is. Uh, sometimes you do have to have just intubation, so a breathing tube for a little while until it resolves. Uh, and in emergent cases, sometimes they do have to do an emergent tracheostomy. This is kind of a rare, uh, not even side effect, but rare complication uh, to Epstein-Barr and to mono. Uh, less than 4% of cases, and mostly in children too, which makes sense. If you think about airways, adult airways, much larger, uh, more of a capacity to kind of deal with swelling, whereas children have much smaller airways, uh, constrict a lot easier. That's why you'll see a lot of children more times having asthma attacks if you think about just the size of the airway in relation to what they can handle with the swelling. People can also get uh, an acute acalculus cholecystitis. So it's a, essentially a gallbladder inflammation, but without gallstones. Uh, this is usually treated just with pain medication and anti-nausea medications. I guess there have been some cases though where the pain is so unbearable that people do actually opt to have their gallbladder removed. Uh, there's other complications that are less common. Uh, that's uh, myocarditis, encephalitis, pancreatitis, and autoimmune hemolytic anemia. Uh, there is also a complication, and let's see if I can get this. is a This is a mouthful, okay? Hemophagocytic lymphohistocytosis. So this is actually a rare but can be fatal condition. Uh, this is where you have certain white blood cells in your bodies that are called histocytes and lymphocytes. These build up in your organs and start to damage the organs. This can happen in your bone marrow, it can happen in your liver, your spleen, and essentially it destroys other, red blood, or other blood cells in there. Uh, HLH, uh, as they call it, most commonly affects uh, infants and young children. So once again, you don't see it a lot in adults. Uh, but more in the younger population. And then Epstein-Barr, it's also kind of been implicated in causing certain cancers. So uh, there's lymphomas and nasopharyngeal cancers. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, further down the road here, just because it, uh, it, most people will, will survive getting Epstein-Barr and mononucleosis. But in the case of these cancers, uh, there are deaths that do happen from them. So... So let's say you get uh, infected with the Epstein-Barr, right? You go through the mono, you do fine, you get out. The virus is still there, so it doesn't go away. Uh, you have this kind of latent or inactive virus in your body. And in certain cases, this virus can actually be reactivated. Uh, this doesn't always cause symptoms in people, but some people, if you have a weakened immune system, uh, or if you have some kind of awful... Uh, other illness that really kind of does a number on your immune system, the Epstein-Barr virus can actually reactivate. Uh, this has come to light recently because of COVID-19. Uh, with COVID, they're seeing, uh, there have been a lot of studies kind of linking Epstein-Barr virus with long COVID. Uh, there was a recent study that uh, suggested that a lot of long COVID symptoms aren't really a direct result of SARS-CoV-2 but a more direct result of this reactivation of the Epstein-Barr that somebody may have had causing uh, more inflammation. There's also this link that they have that uh, 
it's affecting mitochondrial reproduction, just mitochondrial function in general. So mitochondria, it's an organelle that's found in cells and mitochondria, it's responsible, they call it the powerhouse of the cell. Uh, mitochondria creates something called ATP and ATP essentially is what all cells use as like an energy, not all cells, but most cells use as an energy source uh, for you know biochemical and physiological processes. And when you don't have a high number of ATP, uh, cellular function slows down and this causes all sorts of problems. So when mitochondria is affected, uh, you're going to not have the APT, excuse me, ATP production. Uh, your cells aren't going to work as effectively as they could or at all. Uh, and it's going to cause huge problems. ATP is also a major contributor um, in mitochondria in general just to the immune system. So anytime you have any kind of compromise, it's definitely going to affect the body and the body's uh, way it can fight uh, any kind of pathogen. And that's where they're thinking a lot of these long COVID symptoms that people are having, uh, the lethargy, the aches, uh, all, all the stuff that comes with it might be a byproduct of this mitochondrial function. And that might be a byproduct of Epstein-Barr being reactivated. So you would have that you know, initial you know, COVID reaction, which is going to kind of hit your immune system pretty hard and then if you reactivate Epstein-Barr on top of that and you know take another whack at your mitochondria uh, it's going to slow things down and cause people to be you know have illness for a lot longer. There's also the belief that as we age anyway our mitochondrial function decreases with age that this is why we're seeing a lot of older people who are having longer recovery periods and sometimes more severe illness from COVID-19 uh, because Epstein-Barr underlying might be just providing some other kind of mitochondrial damage as well. So how do you test for Epstein-Barr? Uh, most commonly, uh, it's through serological testing. So it's blood testing, uh, uh, tests for antibodies against the Epstein-Barr virus. Uh, these usually appear as kind of atypical appearing uh, lymphocytosis within that blood smear uh, and can be detected pretty easily in most labs. Um, Antibody tests, they kind of identify the IgGM uh, antibodies against Epstein-Barr. And it's kind of the gold standard for uh, just for testing and, uh, and diagnosing. As far as treatment goes, uh, Epstein-Barr, like I said before, you're treating pretty much symptomatically with supportive care. Uh, pain medications, fever reducers, if you even need those. Uh, as I said before, there's also the possibility of surgical intervention if you need to have that, but that's usually based on complications related to you know the mononucleosis from the Epstein-Barr. Uh, there were some studies that used antiviral medications, and it did show a decrease in the amount of virus that was shed, but it didn't reduce any of the symptoms. So corticosteroids, uh, these also, they're not really therapeutic, but they can be beneficial for people who have issues with their airway, swollen airways, uh, or autoimmune complications that are caused by Epstein-Barr. So Epstein-Barr, you know, most of us probably know somebody uh, who has had mononucleosis or had it ourselves. Uh, there's actually, as we get into some epidemiology here, about 95% of the world's population of adults have been infected with it. So there's a good chance you have it, maybe even if you, you know, have never had any symptoms, uh, very, very high percentage. Here in the U.S., uh, looking at some numbers, children and adolescents between the ages of 6 to 19, there's a prevalence of about 66%. Uh, 
Uh, if we separate that out though, children between the ages of six and eight uh, have a prevalence of about 54% positivity, where if you take adolescents, 18 to 19 year olds, is a prevalence of about 82%. So you'll kind of see gradually as they get older, those older age groups who are gonna be socializing more, uh, experimenting more, uh, those numbers are definitely gonna go up. Uh, there are more females and males that have been that you know statistically infected, but I guess the the difference is very minimal. Uh, there's also a higher prevalence of Epstein Barr uh, in children and adolescents who live in larger households, who have lower incomes, uh, lower parental education, and who are also born outside the United States. To which uh, worldwide prevalence of the old Epstein Barr the EBV. Uh, in England, Epstein-Barr, the prevalence rate for ages 11 to 24 is almost 75%, 74.6%. But if you split that up again, uh, the 11 to 14 year olds had a lower prevalence compared to uh, older children. So, or you not know, even older children, but adults. Uh, their 22 to 24 year olds had a 93% positivity for it. So it just goes to tell you, like I said, the older you get, you're, you're going to have more exposure to it anyway. But uh, as you get sexually active, obviously, you'll probably be doing more smooching. Uh, but you'll also probably be in more social areas where you're going to be sharing food, sharing drink, and just have the ability to spread it. Uh, from in Iran, Tehran, Iran, Tehran, God, Tehran, Iran. Uh, the seroprevalence serum, serum of Epstein-Barr is about 81.4%. And 40-year-olds, uh, subjects over the age of 40, I should say, 95% of those are positive. So once again, correlated with age, the you know as populations get older, you're going to have just a higher prevalence. And there's also, this, you know, it speaks to being on the planet long enough. You're going to come in contact uh, with more pathogens, uh, you know, no matter where you are. In China, uh, there was a study that actually showed a prevalence uh, greater than 50% before the age of three, uh, but by the time children were eight to nine years old, it was 90%. So once again, with age, uh, with exposure, you're going to have a higher percentage uh, correlated with that. Uh, there were also studies that found that uh, in the summer months, uh, rates tend to increase, especially June to August, which is probably just more interaction being outside, uh, spending more time with people. So, so what about prevention? Uh, what if you have the Epstein-Barr virus? Uh, you know, if, if you have an active infection, if you have mono, uh, obviously common sense, don't be sharing utensils, don't be making out with anybody, uh, unless they have mono too, and then hey, have fun. Uh, shouldn't be sharing, you know, obviously drinks or anything like that uh, because you know, it's primarily transmitted through saliva. Uh, as I mentioned, if you're into sports, if you play sports, contact sports, even if there's a, a chance you might end up, you ride a bike even, it might fall off your bike, uh, probably stay away from that for, you know, at least three weeks until symptoms revolve to revolve, evolve, <laughs> resolve, <laughs> just to avoid any kind of splenic rupture. You don't want a ruptured spleen. Uh, Mortality-wise, so this is kind of where I want to talk about with all those other complications that can come from Epstein-Barr and mono, most of those are pretty treatable. They're very low mortality rate. But Epstein-Barr is actually, uh, 
increases a person's risk of getting certain cancers. So the nasopharyngeal cancers, it's kind of the area around the back of the nose, uh, and lymphomas as well, such as like a Burkitt's lymphoma. Uh, Epstein-Barr has been shown to actually increase the possibility of getting these cancers. Uh, it's also been linked to Hodgkin lymphoma, as well as some cases of stomach cancer. Uh, when looking at the the data that we have with Epstein-Barr related cancers, they're more common in Africa uh, and parts of Southeast Asia. But most people will never come down with one of these cancers, even if you've had the Epstein-Barr. But I did want to mention that these cancers, there are links to Epstein-Barr and cases of Epstein-Barr that have caused these certain types of cancers. I do want to throw some numbers out there. Uh, there was a study that was done in 2017 that actually took a, lo a look at the uh, Total cancer cases uh, and those that may have been or were caused by Epstein-Barr and then the deaths related to that. So there was a combined global incidence of cancer. There were 1.442 million cases, so almost 1.5 million cases of cancer in 2017. Uh, and there were over 973,000 deaths, so creeping up towards a million deaths from cancer. Uh, of those, uh, there were 265,000, which is about 18%, that were attributed to uh, Epstein-Barr virus. And from those 265,000 cases, um, there were 164,000 deaths, so about 17% of the total 973,000 deaths that were attributed to Epstein-Barr. So even though you know, mono doesn't really cause a lot of deaths. These cancers that are, you know, subsequent byproducts of Epstein-Barr can actually have a relatively high mortality rate. Again, a lot of these were in Africa and Southeast Asia. So I don't know if uh, there just wasn't uh, adequate treatment, if it wasn't caught well enough, screening, all of that, uh, all these things that sometimes uh, we take for granted here, uh, you know, at least here in America where we are and other people in more developed countries. When you get into places like Africa and parts of Southeast Asia that just don't have the kind of medical systems that we have in more developed areas, uh, you know, prevention and screening don't even happen. So, so that being said, uh, I think right now might be a good time to do our death count. So if we want to try and stack our herpes infected dead to the moon, uh, you know, we're going to take our yearly, I'm going to take that, you know, uh, that 164,000 that I got from that one study from 2017, uh, as far as uh, our death count per year. I'm going to take that um, Epstein-Barr virus. It was first discovered in 1964. Uh, it may have been around a lot longer than that, but we'll use 1964 as our starting point here. Uh, so it's about 58 years. We won't count this year, 2023, because it just started. And uh, we'll multiply that by uh, you know, 164,000 by 58 years, and we get a total of 9,512,000 corpses, Epstein-Barr corpses. Uh, if we take the average height uh, of someone here in the U.S., that's five inch, five foot five inches tall. Uh, obviously, uh, probably not super accurate, but that's what I'm running with, since that's what I've run with since my first episode. We multiply that by the 9,512,000. We get uh, 51,523,333 feet, or a total of 900, I'm sorry, 9,000 
758 miles. So if we want to try and get to the moon, uh, the moon is 238,900 miles away. We'd actually only get about 4% uh, of the way there uh, with our, uh, our 9,000 miles of corpses. Uh, if we want to try and reach the top of the Empire State Building in good old New York, uh, that stands at 1,454 feet. We could actually reach the top 35,435 times with our, our stack of bodies here. Uh, and then if we want to try and wrap our dead around the Earth, uh, the Earth, it's uh, 24,901 miles in circumference. Uh, we'd get about 39% of the way around the Earth, so almost 40% of the round, uh, around the Earth with our bodies. So uh, not too crazy, more than I thought it would be, you know, when I first started uh, looking into this, because I knew that, you know, mono isn't something that has a high mortality rate, but I didn't even think about just the cancer-related deaths. Um, and as we get into the, the, herpes, uh, the herpes world here and our other herpes simplex viruses, uh, there are others, um, you know, that are cancer-causing. So it'll be interesting to see just exactly, you know, mortality rates uh, compared to Epstein-Barr virus. But I uh, want to thank you guys for listening. Not a super long episode. I don't have a feeling these herpes episodes are going to be super long. Uh, and I don't know how many I'm going to do. Uh, like I said, this is the first one in my herpes series. So uh, as always, any suggestions, requests, uh any kind of feedback, uh, you can feel free just to email me at youmakemesickpod at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter now. So uh, if uh, anybody wants to reach out uh, on Twitter, feel free to do that. Um, hashtag makemesickpod uh, at Twitter. And uh, I'm new to, I don't do social media. Uh, I don't enjoy social media. But I wanted to throw a Twitter page up there anyway, just because it might be easier for people to communicate with requests or give feedback or if they have questions. Um, I'll also put some stuff up on uh, just, re you know, uh, maybe some links uh, just related to the episode, uh, fun facts, all that good stuff. And I'll also throw the, the latest episode up on Twitter as well. Uh, if people want to download it through that. But uh, I appreciate everyone who's listening. Uh, I, I love the fact that I keep getting new listeners, uh, every episode I drop still not huge numbers, but whatever, man, I'm happy with whatever I get. So I appreciate everybody. Uh, thank you very much. Like I said, uh, any kind of feedback, give me a heads up. Um, and, uh, don't forget to wash your hands. You know, this reminds me of the time I got herpes. You've been spooching with everybody. Snuffy, Al, Leo, little mole with the gimpy leg, Cheeks, Bony Bob, Cliff. Welcome to Costco. I love you. <laughs>